Are you looking for your next podcast binge to lose yourself in? Let me introduce you to a story that begins with sweet romance but quickly turns into betrayal and the far-reaching consequences of one man's deceit. It's an account told by the women whose lives were forever changed by it. You probably think the stories about you is a podcast hosted by Brittany Art. And it's not just another podcast. It's an exploration of self-discovery, growth, resilience, and healing. And it's all told in a unique format. And this is why I'm so excited about this one. This is Brittany's story, but she doesn't just host it like a podcast in the traditional sense. Through immersive soundscapes and the voices of the women affected by these events, this podcast creates such a unique experience experience that's going to make your headphones glow in the dark. I can't wait to get started and I hope you'll join me. Listen and follow. You'll probably think the stories about you wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hi, Diana. Hi, Debbie. Well, this week, Diana Hill and I are going to keep talking more about behavior change. Um, Diana went over some really interesting stuff recently, and we're going to continue the conversation. Um, and so today, we're going to just add to, the, to, the, to what we went over last week. And so, Diana, you talked about a couple different aspects of behavior change. You talk about willpower and motivation. You talked about values and this idea of tiny habits. And I just want to tell you that I found it really helpful and interesting. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot since we we recorded that one. Um, and have you been doing it? You've been, you talked about your sleep. How's that going? You know, I have been. I mean, I've done it, I would say, more nights than not. I, my mm-hmm. What I was working on was going to bed a little bit earlier and getting up earlier in the morning. And so there's been a shift. And what's cool about it is that I've I haven't felt like I have to do it all the time necessarily that I should just give up if there's mm-hmm. a night or two in a row when I don't. Um, so it's been really helpful. I'd say overall it's probably the best I've ever done in terms of actually making the behavior change. And it's been probably, what, a week and a half or two weeks since we recorded the yeah. last one? Yeah. yeah. So it's, and I'm curious really if there was one or two take-home pieces that really made that shift for you from, from the habits talk. You know, to me, it was that thing about just sort of checking in with myself when I start to notice that I'm getting tired and that it's getting to be about that time to Mm -hmm. actually just sort of stop what I'm doing and just go ahead and do it. So it it was really um, just sort of checking in with myself a little bit more. Great. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much for helping me work on that. And I really appreciate it. I've been thinking a lot about some of the different things that you talked about. Um, So thank you. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to learning from you today. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, our plan for today, um, what we're going to be talking about are a couple new ideas. We're going to talk about three things, really, um, the role of awareness, thoughts, and emotional aspects of of behavior patterns. Um, And at the end of the 
conversation today, we have some helpful tips that we're going to leave people with that we think might be helpful if you're at all considering behavior change in some area of your life. And who isn't? And I I would imagine most people are. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Yeah. So to start with, um, the first topic I want to talk about is the role of awareness and awareness training, I like to call it. Uh, What happens a lot of times with behavior patterns and our habits is that they happen really on autopilot, just automatically, you know, these are things that we do day in, day out without awareness, and it's just less effort that way. If we just kind of do the things we always do and we're in a habit of something, we a lot of times might not be aware of all the little cues and patterns and little decisions that are going into our behaviors. Um, and so we do things without even think, thinking twice about it, or we don't do things because we're not thinking twice about it. So there are so many examples of this. I was just thinking as I was getting ready to talk today, grabbing a glass of wine after a stressful day at work, um, smoking, eating junk food, um, really just any behavior that you're sort of doing automatically. Eating off our children's plates. Maybe, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> grabbing that yeah. little uh, <laughs> French fry off your kid's mm-hmm. plates or something, chicken nugget or whatever, yeah. Um, so there are just probably infinite number of things. Oh, it could be um, snapping at your your partner when you're angry. It could be driving too fast. Um, checking me, the news first thing in the morning. That's another one. Kind yeah. of toxic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's one I kind of wanted to talk about it because it's something that I've noticed with myself is checking my iPhone. Um, mm-hmm. That I grab my phone a lot of times. Without thinking about it, I'm just picking it up. You know, it's always around, and I pick it up, and I just automatically start opening. You know, I'll check the news on it. I'll check my email. I'll check social media, and I do it without really thinking twice about it. And the next thing I know, a lot of times, a good deal of time has passed, mm-hmm. and maybe I had planned to do something else um, during that time. Um, and a lot of times, you know, again, it's just happening automatically, and a lot of times, I really have to kind of stop and say, hold on, wait a minute, this is not what I want to be doing right now, and, and consciously walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm encouraging people to do if they want to work on awareness training is something that I found really helpful with my clients, which is to basically act like a behavioral psychologist and do a little behavioral psychology um, training, which is to take a look at the behavior pattern as it's happening. So what we do, um, any behavioral psychologist who might be listening will probably know this as a functional analysis or a a behavior chain analysis, um, is that we look at the context in which a behavior is happening. So for instance, with the iPhone, I might notice that it's more likely to happen when I'm sort of bored or, you know, when I'm just kind of in between things or, so there might be some internal states that are kind of contributing to this. Um, those might be the times that I'm more likely to pick up the iPhone automatically. And there can also be certain cues in the environment, like, oh, it's when I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm about to go, um, you know, do some chores around the house, or it's when I'm about to go, you know, do some exercise or something like that. And so it might be Um, certain situations in terms of the external environment and also the internal environment. So what I encourage my clients to do, and and people who are listening might want to try this, is just to take a look at what goes into that. Like, what are the different decisions you make and what's the context in which the behavior occurs? That's kind Mm -hmm. of step one, Mm -hmm. looking at the behavior pattern. And, again, a lot of these things, you know, often happen outside of our awareness. Mm -hmm. 
So the idea is to just start to be a little bit more aware. Notice the hand reaching for the iPhone when I'm bored and how likely I am to to start looking at social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, given my, my background in working a lot with eating uh, behaviors and eating disorders, one of the things I think can be so helpful in bringing awareness is writing things down. Mm-hmm. And it can feel really different when you start to track a behavior and track some of the context around it. So a classic example of what someone would do if they were in an eating disorder treatment is they would start to write down the food that they eat during the day and then the contextual variables that are associated with their eating patterns. So what was their mood like? Where were they when they were eating? Uh, what happened immediately before their eating patterns? And just bringing awareness to something can actually change the behavior in itself, but also gives you some information about when you're going to be at high risk for that behavior occurring again in the future or Mm -hmm. what you could maybe do differently in the future to address some of the contextual pieces. It's sort of like, you know, thinking about the context of the weather. You know when it's a cloudy day to get out your umbrella because it might be a chance of rain. Mm -hmm. So what is going to increase the chances of you maybe engaging in this behavior that you want to make a change in as well? Yeah. Well, and I think that's a really good point, too, that, you know, writing down First of all, this functional analysis, writing down all those contextual cues as you notice them. And over time, I think for myself, I'll notice more and more and more as the more I start to mm-hmm. pay attention. Oh, it's when this happens or it's this time of day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think writing it down. And a lot of people find tracking and sort of self-monitoring monitoring helpful in general. You know, if you're writing down the cues and then also what you're doing, like the behavior, and which is the next piece of this functional analysis. So, like, what are you doing? Okay, I'm, you know, grabbing the bag of Doritos. Um, if you're writing that type of thing down, again, it's a way of keeping more awareness. Mm-hmm. I know you do, some, you do some tracking with yourself. I do, like, yeah, I do some track. tracking, but it's more of a behavior that I'm trying to do more of. Uh-huh. So yes. I track exercise. I just write it in my regular old calendar that I use for my appointments and such. And I just, you know, I'll be like, you know, 30 minutes of cardio at the gym or, you know, three-mile walk or something like that. And it's, mm-hmm. to me, there's something reinforcing about it because at the end of the week when I've exercised, you know, four times or something like that, it feels good. I can, you know, I wouldn't really, I'd probably forget, to be honest with you. Yeah. But when I'm just kind of reviewing my week and I think, oh, it also helps me notice sometimes it's interesting. I Sometimes I find myself just being in a particularly grouchy mood and then I'll sometimes take a look at my calendar and realize, oh, you know, I haven't exercised in several yeah. days. And yeah. it's something that I, I wouldn't necessarily make that connection. So, again, awareness. It's like helping me mm-hmm. see, oh, maybe I'm a, being a grouch because I haven't been off the couch in two or three days. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you do any? I track my sleep. I have one of those yeah. sleep apps that I put my by my bed, and it tracks the quality. I, I don't know how um, accurate <laughs> it is, but it tracks when I go to sleep and when okay. I wake up. And sometimes you'll see the sort of like zigzag line of my husband and I talking for a long time yeah. <laughs> before bed. Or, but and then it also it's it's sort of sad because it shows how many times I wake up to to yeah. attend to a child. But right. uh, that actually is it's a motivator for me as well because yeah. I want those stats to yeah. be like, look what I did eight hours. I did it. Yeah, I did. And, yeah. for a while and I liked that like oh yeah I did 10,000 steps today it felt good and, yeah, yeah the stories of people walking in circles in their living room trying to get their <laughs> when you're that close yeah. yeah but some but people think, don't like it and I think it's really yeah. important to to say that that doesn't work for everyone you know someone some people couldn't care less if they had exercised 
you know, if it was written in their calendar, that just wouldn't be reinforcing for some people. And I, I do think that one, one, uh, possible thing to be cautious of is that some people get so bogged down in the tracking mm-hmm. that I think it actually doesn't, it, it do, it's counter helpful. You know what I mean? Right. And especially if you have sort of some uh, qualities of getting really preoccupied yeah. about um, what you're doing. So actually for my master's thesis, I did a study where I was with Linda Craighead, who's at University of Colorado. We were comparing just the impact of tracking your food versus tracking your hunger and fullness levels. So Linda Craighead developed this training called appetite awareness training. Uh-huh. And what, what I found was that for individuals that had a high risk for an eating disorder, they, when they tracked their food of what they were eating, the specific types and amounts during the day, they had a, a sort of negative result of an mm-hmm. increased preoccupation and getting a little bit more obsessive about, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You want your master's thesis to kind of make sense. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but so they became more obsessive about food, whereas when they were tracking just their internal sensations, they didn't have that same impact. So you want to kind of think about if you are going to track, what are, what are the behaviors that you want to be increasing? Because in general, you want to bring awareness to certain things and tracking the things that you want to bring awareness to. So I want to increase my early bedtime, so I track that. You want to increase your exercise, so you track that. But do you really want to increase your preoccupation with food? Maybe not. So maybe yeah. think about or you want to track around food instead yeah. of type of food. Well, and sleep too, because I sometimes give clients a sleep log if they're working with me for insomnia, but I'll Mm -hmm. tell them, listen, don't stay up all night, like obsessively filling out the sleep log where you're looking at the clock all the time, you know, oh, it's 3.15 and they're jotting that. It's like, just, you know, put it down and in the morning, do your best to get a rough sense of it. But I do think that obsessiveness can sometimes be unhelpful. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's in the service of promoting awareness, that's what we're talking about. And and if that's Mm -hmm. helpful, then do it, you know. Um, And so, yeah, part of the awareness training, again, it's looking at the context and what's happening. It's looking at the behavior itself and just all different aspects of behavior. You know, what are you doing? What thoughts are coming up? What are you, you know, just everything you can notice about the behavior. And then what we also like to look at are the consequences of the behavior. And Mm -hmm. when we do this, we really like to look at two things, both the short-term and the long-term consequences. A lot of times for behavior patterns that we're doing all the time, there's something reinforcing in the short term about it. It usually makes you feel better or reduces stress or helps you avoid something that's unpleasant. I think that's really important to note that even if it's a behavior, you know, smoking is a great example of this. I think most of us can think, well, smoking, you know, there's a lot of negative consequences of smoking. So why Mm -hmm. in the world would people do it? You know, it's because of that short-term consequence that gives them that feeling that smokers get when they're smoking. Um, That sort of, you know, the urge goes away. They feel it kind of reduces their stress. There's that physical thing Mm -hmm. that feels better. And so that's Mm -hmm. just important to acknowledge because a lot of times we focus on the short-term, like we get this kind of immediate gratification thing Mm -hmm. um, where we'll do, you know, grabbing my iPhone and, checking Facebook to me is a little bit more fun in the short term than getting up and folding the laundry. Mm-hmm. So that's a big piece of why it gets reinforced. Right. And if you think about the way our brains were designed in terms of evolutionary science, we're designed to respond to short term. Yeah, <laughs> we're right. designed to like 
how do I take care of myself now, get, you know, get rid of this pain now. We're not really long-term, designed for long-term consequences. And that's problematic because we live in an environment where most of the benefit in our in our lives comes from long term thinking long term what is this going to impact my health you know my health or how is this going to impact my finances or how is this going to impact my family and so that's that's also we kind of have to bring that awareness again to the consequences and it's not it's not our instinct to do that exactly yeah and that's that's why exactly that's exactly why it's another piece of the awareness training Mm -hmm. is that it's not necessarily our instinct and yet if we look at the, the long term and if we can look past that immediate gratification to what's important to us, to what makes our life better, what gives us greater health and vitality, then we might make different decisions in the moment. So, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. kind of forego this short-term pleasure in order to do something that's better for me in the long term. Well, and this really connects to the next piece of the awareness training uh, that I was going to talk about, which is just basic mindfulness. I think mindfulness is a skill that people can really hone and we probably could spend another whole podcast, and I'm sure we will spend mm-hmm. several on mindfulness just in general as a practice. But I think really just bringing more in the moment awareness in the form of mindfulness into the behavior pattern itself, mm-hmm. which basically means just paying more attention to the behavior as it's happening. Mm-hmm. So slowing down, noticing what's going on, and maybe making a choice there. And the way I like to think about it is that if you're paying more attention, you're making a conscious choice instead mm-hmm. of doing something just because it's on autopilot. And to me, that's very empowering to think, okay, I have the choice right now between picking up my iPhone and spending half an hour scrolling through or not. And I might choose to do the iPhone. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when it feels like a choice, I feel more empowered. Like, I'm choosing Mm -hmm. to do this right now, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I really think that um, just kind of learning to slow down and pay attention and practice mindful awareness as you're doing the behavior is really important. Um, You mentioned Kelly McGonigal's book, The Willpower Instinct, in the last one that we did. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but one of the first exercises she has her readers do is to start to just pay attention to every decision that they make about the behavior they're working on. Mm -hmm. So before she asks people to even change a single thing, she says, just pay more attention. Notice when you're, you know, taking some of the preparatory steps. So if you're a smoker, when you sort of grab your pack and start heading for the door to go outside to the smoking area. Notice when you're making those little decisions that kind of build up to the behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a reason why she has people start that way is just to get them to even notice all the steps along the way. Right. Yeah. Right. And each one of those steps is becomes a new choice point. So if we think about this long chain of of events that happen from when you pick up the cigarettes to when you start walking to when you get outside or whatever the chain of events is, if you can break those down, then you know, oh my gosh, there's so many different places along this chain that I could do something differently. Right. And that that can be also empowering, that there's a lot of outs and a lot of um, opportunities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times when you can make a different choice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also paying attention to the behavior itself. So like for a smoker, actually paying attention to the actual sensation of smoking and the taste, etc. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to tie that to my iPhone example. 
staring at my iPhone with awareness. Yeah, I mean, it's well, a different it's really quality. Satisfying. Is it yeah. really satisfying? Is it really giving you that break that you're no. craving in that moment? And you're and, and are you really reading something that's meaningful and going to have an impact on you for the rest of the, you know? It, Unlikely. Yeah, sometimes yeah. yes, but a lot of times no. And I, yeah. I remember doing an intervention with a client a long time ago who was struggling with anorexia, and she was eating the same protein bar every single day and had a lot of rigidity around this protein bar. And we did a mindfulness practice in session where we slowed down and she ate the protein bar, slowly tasted it, felt it in her body. And by the end of the session, she came to the recognition that this doesn't really, I don't really like this. I don't, I don't like what I've been doing on a daily basis for so long. And that, that's what my, mindfulness brings the concept of beginner's mind, which is a Buddhist concept of what if you were to open up to this experience with new eyes as if you'd never been here before. And then we get to, then we get to see some of the things that we haven't been seeing about it. So, yeah. How powerful to notice something you've been doing so routinely is just not what you thought it was. That's such an aha moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, before we kind of end this section on awareness, I want to just read a quick quote that I love um, by Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He's a Holocaust survivor and um, really kind of influential in our field. Um, he was a physician. He wrote, Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I just love that quote. I use it all the time when I'm teaching and training because I think there is something so empowering about Mm -hmm. making a conscious choice and about pausing at that point before acting automatically where Mm -hmm. you just bring a little bit more awareness and more choice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it kind of ties together all this um, that we're talking about the last couple weeks. Um. And so it may be helpful for folks to write down this functional analysis if they want to work on a behavior mm-hmm. that, that they want to change. And do you have a form or something like that that we could put up for people to try? I have a chain analysis form from dialectical behavior therapy, but there also may be other. Yeah, I, I can put up an example that I made for a talk um, mm-hmm. that's actually related to the iPhone thing I've been talking about. Um, okay. We could put that up on our website and maybe link to that and maybe link to a couple other examples that people would right. find helpful. Because, yeah, something about putting it down on paper can be really helpful, too. It just helps you take a take a look, mm-hmm. you know, get a new perspective on it. Great. Yeah. And so one of the things I was going to move into our next part here, which is talking about the role of thoughts when it comes to behavior patterns and behavior change. And it's really connected to what we've been talking about. But a lot of times what happens with behavior change is that we come up with these thoughts that are really not helpful. And we can kind of sabotage ourselves by listening to our thoughts too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I wrote down a couple of examples that I wanted to share. Um, These come up for me regularly. I don't feel like it. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm too mm-hmm. tired. I'm too busy. That's a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Or I deserve a treat. I'll do it just this once. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I came up with for myself. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you have any, Diana. I'm sure you. We probably all do. Um, I think, my, yeah, I think mine are similar. Just, I think that I'll do it tomorrow, or I'll start tomorrow. One is probably the, one of the biggest ones. Yeah. And and. Then really ask myself, is my tomorrow self really going to want to do this any more than myself right now? Yeah. Tomorrow <laughs> like, is a magical like day. Some which is of my tomorrow self yeah. out there that she's like so motivated. But yeah, that's uh, and probably not. Right. And I always do that. I give my tomorrow self a favor and do it now. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's but, great. Yeah. That's, 
feeling I don't feel like it yeah yeah and for me a lot of times it's the I'm too tired because like I am tired a lot of times that's you know probably true um but to think I'm too tired so therefore I can't do it is not helpful and I you know a lot of times for me I you I tend to exercise at night and so what I'll do is I'll just go around and around talking myself out of going to the gym because um, it's hard to motivate, as you talked about last time. It's hard to m- motivate at the end of the day um, when your motivation is low. And so I'll go around and around with my thoughts, and I can very easily talk myself out of exercising. Mm-hmm. Um, we can sometimes talk ourselves into things that aren't good for us, um, mm-hmm. out of things that we do want to be doing. And so I think, really, what I want to just say about this is that it can be really helpful piece of the awareness puzzle to notice your thoughts. And it can also be really helpful to just think about how just because you're thinking that, that doesn't mean that that has to drive the behavior. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes have this thing that I do where I notice I'm starting to be like, I don't feel like going to the gym. I'm too tired. I'll go tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And I'll keep thinking all of that stuff as I grab my gym bag and I walk mm-hmm. out the door and I get in my car. And what I've noticed for myself is that if I can get myself to the car, I'm good. Like, I've never turned around once I'm in the car. And once I'm at the gym, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going for it. I'll sometimes mm-hmm. tell myself I'm just going to go directly to sit in the hot tub. That's mm-hmm. like a yeah. way to try to trick myself. But I don't do that. Once I get there, I actually uh-huh. exercise. Um, mm-hmm. But I've noticed that I can actually have that thought, like, I hate the gym. This is no fun. I don't want to do this the whole time as I'm still engaging in the behavior that I want to be doing. And I have to have at least a little bit of awareness of it that that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's this idea that what we do with our hands and feet are really what matters. Yeah. And that's what produces the life that we want. You know, moving your body to the gym, getting yourself doing that. What What's going on in your head may or may not matter, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and sometimes our, our thoughts are very helpful sure. and can motivate us and get us to go where we want to be going. But sometimes our thoughts can be really unhelpful. And if we get so so fused with what our thoughts tell us to do, we may end up in a direction that we don't want to be. And so getting clear on what is it that I want, you know, when I'm not in that, in that battle with my mind, what's important to me? Well, movement, exercise is important to me and using my hands and feet to get there. Not my, not always my head. Right. Exactly. Yeah. My head, I really wish my head was the kind of head that would just say, Oh, the gym, I love it. It's so great. I can't wait to get there. But that's just not, that's not what I have in my head. And so, Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell, I don't know if our listeners are familiar familiar with acceptance and commitment therapy, but this is sort of classic. I think we're both yes. act trained and, you know, mm-hmm. like that approach. And so this is classic acceptance and commitment therapy. It's You can have the thought without necessarily believing in it, and you can still make the choice ultimately, regardless right. of what your mind is telling you as it chatters away. Right. And sometimes battling the thought isn't very helpful either because it takes, that's the circle that you're talking about. You go around and around in, but sometimes it's just, okay, there's my thought, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And if I spent my time trying to convince myself that going to the gym was great fun, I'm not too sure how successful I'd be. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's similar with urges, I think. And, And I don't really think of urge as just a thought. I think of an urge as more like a bodily sensation kind of that has, there's some thought in there too, but you know, we don't, Urges are similar in the sense that they can be very compelling, but we don't really have to 
act on them. We can kind of allow them to come and go. In therapy, a lot of times we call this urge surfing, that we kind of feel like, oh, this urge is getting really bad and it's just going to keep growing and I have to do something to end the urge. And instead, what you can do is just watch the urge. And if you don't act on the behavior, a lot of times the urge will sort of come and go. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. encourage people to kind of take that moment to just pay attention to the urge without necessarily trying to end it and just see what happens. And paying attention to the urge can also kind of tie into that mindfulness practice where you start to pay, actually pay attention to the sensations in your body and just notice it as a sensation in your body that rises, gets more intense, comes back down. Oftentimes if we give in to the urge, what we end up doing, it's sort of like if you're like a surfer and the, the wave is rising up and you jump off, right, that, that you don't get that information that the, the urge will come down on its own. And we come to believe that, oh, I have to give into it because it would have kept on getting worse. And then the next time we'll give into it sooner because mm-hmm. we'll remember, oh, last time I got so bad, I don't want it to get bad again. And so to set ourselves up for the urge to actually decrease over time, we need to ride it out and repeatedly ride it out to reteach our systems that this is what urges do. They come and they go, whether we act on them or not. Yeah, it's back to that short-term, long-term thing in terms of consequences, you know, when you're doing a functional analysis, which is that in the short term, you might end the urge, but you might be actually making the urge worse in the long term because you're just building it. You're teaching yourself that that's what you do with an urge. So the urge might come back double next time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And your efficacy is half. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And this is hard. I mean, this is really hard. I just want to pause to say that, that when we're talking about behavior changes, especially this kind of stuff, I mean, it's a very, it's a hard thing to do and you can do it I mean people do change behavior just Mm -hmm. it takes and and this is a nice segue probably into my next piece which is talking about the emotional aspects of behavior patterns and behavior change Mm -hmm. Uh, very much related to what we've been talking about I think a lot of times one thing we may not be aware of when we're looking at a behavior pattern is that there might be some emotional discomfort or emotional avoidance going on Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many examples, but if you think about someone who uses alcohol at times when they're feeling anxious, you know, in a social situation or using alcohol when you're feeling stressed out at the end of the day, just reaching for a glass of wine or um, alcohol when you're um, bored or stressed, you know, and that's just one example. I think even a task that you've been putting off, like cleaning out clutter, you know, maybe part of what's going on there is that every time you open that closet that's a mess, you feel flooded by just feeling overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. And so you just close the closet door and you walk away. Um, And so by putting the task off, and maybe that's a behavior change you want to work on, by putting that off, you're avoiding an unpleasant emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so many of the when I'm working with my clients or when I'm thinking about my own behavior patterns, if I really dig deeper, there's some emotional piece to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just encourage people to be aware of that as well. And also to think, just to keep in mind that behavior change is hard and that if you're going to be really seriously invested in making a behavior change, you might need to be willing to experience some of that discomfort. Mm -hmm that that Mm -hmm. might be a part of the change is that there maybe you have to write out the boredom or maybe you have to feel overwhelmed and just spend 10 minutes cleaning your closet Mm -hmm. for the Mm -hmm. next month, you know, but Mm -hmm. that to to do it is going to require some emotional discomfort. Yeah. And you can do that. You can do it even if it's uncomfortable, right? 
Yeah. Tara Brock often says when we're we're in that difficult cycle to ask ourselves, what am I unwilling to experience in this moment? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. often that, which is what am I unwilling to experience that I'm doing all of this mumbo jumbo, like I'm yeah. avoiding here and avoiding there to not experience this, this difficult sensation or emotion or memory. And willingness is not that it's going to go away what we're you know afraid of but we have a different relationship with it it allows us to step in and have a little bit more choice uh, around it because either way you're also experiencing it yeah. you, you know when you're opening the closet in the clutter you're experiencing what you are unwilling to experience but you're experiencing it with a tight grip uh-huh. and, and and trying you know an avoidance so i feel when willingness is really foundational in starting any kind of behavior change. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it takes a lot of, yeah, I think it takes some courage to to practice willingness. So I think that, you know, if you are going to make a behavior change or if there's something you're working on, you should maybe give yourself a little pat on the back for having the courage that it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and one other little thing I wanted to mention is a concept that I think about sometimes when I'm working on on doing something in a new way, which actually also comes from, DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, which is the concept of opposite action, Mm -hmm. which is when, you know, our emotions will sometimes uh, want us to, it's it's like our emotions want us to do things a certain way, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) is a weird way to think about it. But like, for instance, if you're depressed, your emotions are sort of telling you to crawl back in bed. If you're anxious, your emotions are telling you to avoid. If you're angry, your emotions are telling you to lash out. And there are a lot of times when listening to our emotions is a totally fine thing to do, you know, that it's helpful and useful. But there are times when we can sort of do the opposite of what our emotions are telling us to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so in this therapy, that's one of the practices is, okay, your emotions telling you to do this, but that's not working for you, so do this other thing instead. And I think that can be helpful in this situation. You know, like my when I'm stressed out, my emotions might be telling me to grab a glass of wine or grab an iPhone or whatever, but mm-hmm. that's really not a good long-term solution. Um, so I might want to do the opposite and do something mm-hmm. else instead. So you mm-hmm. can just kind of keep that in your mind maybe as you're bringing more awareness to this to your behavior patterns is that there are times when you can kind of override your emotions and do something else. Like when you're not feeling motivated, like your motivation might be low. You can still do something even if your motivation is low. You know, I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to get up at 6 a.m. and get ready for work. My motivation Mm -hmm. might not be high. I can do it anyway, and I do. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, it's sort of ironic that the the most effective or one of the most effective treatments for depression is behavioral activation. Right, right. So, (laughs) which is not, and they're like, I'm really depressed. And you're like, okay, well, we get you going. We need to get you moving in your day because our tendency is to do mood congruent behavior, which may sink us deeper and deeper into depression. And I think we've all had experience when we're depressed and you're just feeling down and you feel no energy and tiredness, like the last thing in the world you want to do is get more active. And yet, if you know, when you do that, that's when you kind of start to get out of the depression a little bit. Right. Or when you're feeling bad about your ba- your body, the last thing you want to do is go put on nice clothes. But if you if you're feeling bad about your body and you go put on some comfortable clothes that you enjoy and that you that you feel good in, or you go buy yourself a new you know piece of clothing, you'll notice that that probably shifts how you feel in your body. Yeah. You know, so it, 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 I think it 
could tag onto a lot of different ways. When we are getting stuck and we're finding that the more we're doing of something, the more we're getting stuck in it, opposite action can be really helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so I think that just what I want to do next is sort of summarize um, basically into four strategies from what we've talked on today. And these are just really specific simple things that people can do to, to just try, you know, taking a step toward behavior change. Mm-hmm. And again, just as kind of a final note, you know, behavior change is hard. It really is. If it wasn't, it would, we'd just do it no problem. Um, and you can do it. Like you can, you can do it and it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. But here are some strategies that might help our listeners um, and ourselves. Um, okay. So strategy number one, think like a behavioral psychologist and do a little functionality functional analysis of your behavior pattern. So, you know, again, we'll put an example on our webpage, but basically you want to look at the context. You want to think about what you typically do in that situation and the short and long-term consequences. So jot it down on a piece of paper or just do it in your mind, whatever works. Um, But strategy one is to just give that a try. Take a look at the behavior that you're working on and just see what you can learn about it. Mm -hmm. Be a scientist. Um, The second one, second strategy is to... Just practice paying more attention while you're in the middle of doing those kind of automatic behaviors or the habits or just the places where you get stuck. So just push the pause button and check in with what's happening. I really think awareness is half the battle. Like, mm-hmm. I really do. And I think that if you can just learn to pay a little bit more attention, you'll feel more empowered. You know, back to mm-hmm. that Victor Frank Frankel quote. Um, Mm -hmm. between stimulus and response. So we want to pause there and just practice paying attention. Mm -hmm. That's that's one strategy. Strategy number three, make a list of all the unhelpful thoughts that show up for you when you're trying to make a change. So, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, that kind of thing. Just write it down on a piece of paper and just see what you can notice about what your mind does. Um, And keep adding to that list as you discover new ones. Because once you try this, you'll probably start to notice ones that, that you didn't catch the first time. Mm -hmm. And then number four is to make a list of the emotions that would come up if you made the change. Mm -hmm. So what are the difficult emotions, sensations that you might have to experience if you wanted to change something in your life? So, you know, it might be something related to stress, boredom, anxiety, self-doubt. You know, there could be all kinds of things that, that would come up. And so just take a, make, Make a list of those and maybe ask yourself, like, you know, am I willing to experience these things a little bit in order to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even by just taking a look at what it would take, it, again, it might just help you um, have a little perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Thank you. That yeah. sounds wonderful. Well, I hope that people will give this a try, um, you know, in between – the last one on tiny habits and this one maybe just go out and try some of this stuff and let us know what their experience is i hope that some people will think about maybe posting it uh, posting a review on itunes or just writing a little something about their experience because we'd really love to hear how it goes for people wonderful thank you so much thank you diana i'll talk to you soon okay take okay care. bye-bye Bye. thank you for listening to psychologists off the clock You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.